Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. It's good to be back on the show and lots to talk about because of a brief hiatus for us, a little vacation, a little bachelor party for myself down at Myrtle Beach, which means we haven't had an opportunity to talk about the NBA finals. We've also got the NBA draft currently happening. You can chat a little bit about that. Major League Baseball continues to be hot with one team in New York just setting all sorts of records and winning games in preposterous fashion, though it's just June. Maybe do that when September or October comes and hope for the best. Major news in college football as Arch Manning makes his decision for where he will quarterback come 2023. But we get to finally break down or at least offer our thoughts on what ended up happening in the NBA Finals. Golden State wins over the Boston Celtics. I don't want to say in convincing fashion, but did it without us having to have much of a heart attack for it, finishing them off in six games at Boston to take home four titles in eight years to continue writing legacy talk and Hall of Fame future talk and Draymond hates everyone in the media talk. The parade was just a rub face in our accomplishments-esque type of an affair, which is what you expect to see at a parade. But they off the Boston Celtics. They avoided a game seven. They did so pretty convincingly in some games. They got some great performances in game six, including one from Draymond Green. And they are the NBA champions, which now has a huge amount of roots to the tree of questions and storylines of where these guys stand all time as a team, where the individual players are, tons of different things to carry people's conversations and where Steph Curry is in top 10 lists, et cetera, et cetera. I think we both had agreed that the Warriors were going to win. Things got a little shaky there in the beginning, but when push comes to shove, they were able to hold off Boston and get the job done and win another NBA Finals. Well, first of all, Big John, it's good to have you back. Folks, my partner was down south, uh, you know, with Boys Gone Wild for the, the Big John Lunt bachelor party. Uh, you know, echoes reverberating throughout uh, the southeast, not just Myrtle Beach, but ball, all, all over the east coast. As soon as the weather warmed up uh, as they headed south, the legends just grew and grew. All the way down, all the way back. He's back in one piece. I'm not going to say better than ever, but he's back in one piece. I'm glad you guys had a good time, and it's great to have you back. Um, look, you and I were in the right. Everybody and their mother was picking the Celtics in this series. Everybody thought the Celtics were the better team. Uh, we disagreed. At least I disagreed. I, didn't th- I never thought they were the better team. They were bigger. Supposedly, they were deeper. And supposedly, they were more athletic with these great first or number one ranked defense which played well at times, but I told you when this series started that I thought Golden State would run them into the ground. And that doesn't mean constant fast breaking. It doesn't mean blow them out of the building by 30 points. It meant exactly what I said, run them into the ground. I thought the Celtics would get worn out defending against the nonstop movement of Golden State's half-court offense, Steph Curry and company, never still, constant motion, constant screens, constant moving without the ball. Celtics have to defend that and then go execute at the other end. And you saw an incredibly worn down, tired, out of gas Boston team as the series progressed. After game four, which was the huge game in the series, Celtics up 2-1 at home, 
Curry has his masterpiece. He has his Picasso. He has the game, which he will be remembered by for the rest of his career. 43 on the road, must win, or you go down 3-1. And they literally take the game away from the Celtics. And Tatum says in the postgame press conference, my legs weren't there. Leaving balls short, leaving shots short. Your legs aren't there because you're tired. And that really, to me, was a huge factor in the series. They looked worn out on the offensive end. They didn't run much of an offense. It was Tatum and Brown, one-on-one, late in the shot clock, chuck and duck, no movement, no screening off the ball. Everything was pick and roll, isolation, a lob pass once in a while to Williams. And Williams, I thought, played very well. But you also saw Williams... With that knee that he's, you know, has been bothering him all year long, he had surgery. He's trying to guard guys 35 feet from the basket. He's struggling to get up and down the court. He was out of gas. Tatum was clearly out of gas. We saw in game, I mean, in game six, you saw Jason Tatum go down the court on the fast break. And instead of going to the basket hard and dunking, he veered to the left and then turned and literally threw the ball up over his head without looking at the basket in like a little you know, Euro step to the left pivot and throw it up over his head with both hands. He barely got off the ground. They were shot. They were exhausted. And you saw Steve Kerr on the sidelines at every opportunity, waving his team on to attack and Draymond Green to his credit, who we know is a whack job. who We know never shuts up. Who we know is the most annoying player in the NBA, but after a couple terrible games, including game four when he got sat down and then came in down the stretch to help them uh, in the last few minutes with a couple good plays, win that huge game four, had two more very good games, and he was constantly pushing, constantly pushing the ball on every rebound. Even if it didn't lead to a fast break, he would push it up and make the Celtics sprint back, and they were shot. They were a completely dead team walking. They had no gas left. They couldn't guard Curry. They got... Paul, poor old Al Horford, 35 feet from the basket with no help, trying to stay with Curry. No bench. Peyton Pritchard, zero. Williams, zero. Their bench gave them, after the first big game when White hit all the threes and had 20-plus odd points, he did nothing the rest of the series. And Golden State was the deeper team. Wiggins was tremendous. He came of age. He was a huge factor in this series. And the rest of their bench, Poole played. Some people said Poole couldn't play in this series. He had two huge games, helped flip the series, you know, with, with a couple different stretch runs, excuse me, a couple different runs during stretches of games. We had 10, 12, 14 points in very quick timeframes, hitting a bunch of threes and giving them energy and giving them input when Curry was off the court. Thompson wasn't great, especially in game six, but he was decent. In games four and five, obviously Wiggins was fabulous. He was a huge factor in game five when Steph had the bad game. And Steve Kerr coached the pants off of uh, the the first-year coach for the Celtics. Plain and simple, he shortened his bench, and his team was out of gas. As we talked about before, his team continued to get upset with the officiating, as did he. And they're spending more time flopping like fish on a boat and bitching at the officials nonstop never shutting up, complaining and whining constantly instead of playing. And it cost them on all fronts. They had a chance to take a stranglehold in that series up 200 home. Curry took them apart. Game five, Golden State went up early. They came back. Golden State blew them out. And then game six in Boston, I mean, the Warriors were in complete control the entire way. They made their one run to cut it to single digits, and the Warriors put them again away. Put them, put them away with constant movement, constant attack, Great job defensively, although the Celtics made it a lot easier for them. But I'm tired of this, you know, like this notion that, well, the Celtics played poorly. And that's why this series went to Golden State because they possibly played poorly. Golden State played very well. They're not a great team, they're a really good team. And they played sound basketball, all different aspects of it. They did a great job with their half court offense, they ran when the opportunity was there. They defended. They did an excellent job, even though they were undersized on the boards. The offensive glass, they drove the Celtics nuts. Constantly keeping balls alive. It resulted in second and third possessions, sometimes long rebounds on offense for threes. Overall, they were clearly the superior team with clearly, without a doubt, 
the superior coach. And Steve Kerr now becomes, in the top five all-time, Hall of Fame coach. He's the coach of the game. Four championships in eight years. What else do you have to say? He, he joins the club. But the point is, he, he did a brilliant job with this team. Plain and simple. Because they're not a great team. They're, they're, they're a really good team. And they caught fire at the right time. And you know, we talk about it all. They got some breaks. You know, Phoenix looked like a, a lock in the West. We're still trying to figure out what happened. And Golden State took advantage. Milwaukee's not there because you know, they go down in seven. They get worn out without their second best player. Boston squeezes that out, then has a battle with Miami, goes through a tough seven-game series. Golden State's only got to go five, get some rest, starts to get people back. It showed. They were the fresher team. They were the more experienced team. And, you know, from top to bottom, game one through six overall, they were the better team. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. If I'm putting money down, I, I would lean toward this not being the norm and being more of a blip. I mean, just in general, it's hard to do this. Let's let's not think that Absolutely. for other teams, this is an easy thing to throw out too. like, oh, are they going to get back here again? I mean, no, it's very difficult. When we talk about the Warriors shortly, very difficult to do. Look what at what happened doing. to Atlanta. Conference yeah. final last year. Yeah. So yeah. it's not because they got old. <laughs> the Celtics, every time they were winning these games, going on those three-point barrages we'd be talking about during the show and blowing teams out by 20 and 30 because they just don't miss. You're thinking, how is this happening? <laughs> I mean, it's not just them. How is it happening in general? Teams don't do this to win by 30 because they shot 50% from three and no one can miss in a game. You need a little luck along the way, no question. They got those games a lot in the postseason, it felt like. And then they didn't get any, really, against the Golden State Warriors. Needed them. And they were falling behind early. It was, how are we going to come back now? Who's going to get us a bucket? And they didn't stop chucking up threes, even when they weren't making any, and they're getting into these big holes. Happened in game six. Chucking up three after three after three, and before you know it, Golden State's like, all right, they're not falling. We're just going to go score some baskets, and they go on a 20-something run and put the game away before halftime comes. Drive to the basket, man. (laughs) Pull up in front of the three-point line for one, just to screw the juju away. I think this is something that had they won it, you'd be talking about the improbability of it and it just being one of those championships and you know, like the Mavericks. Wow. You know, how did they, how did they get this done? Especially against who they beat would have been one of those types of runs, but I don't know if it would have been a repeat occurrence over a decade long type of run here because it's hard enough to get there. And then it's hard enough to do it by keeping the guys around, which somehow, some way as Brian Windhorst said, it was the checkbook for the Golden State Warriors in being able to keep their big three through injury, through negotiations, through contracts coming up. It's been those guys, but the pieces that they've found along the way, especially in this past postseason run, have vastly helped them. So if you're talking about who can do this again and get back, the easy answer, obviously, is Golden State. Because not only is it something they can do, they've done it. (laughs) Four out of eight years. And because of a horrific injury twice, to one of the main guys, that killed their chances of, of continuing to do so in the, in the middle part of it. What they're doing is historic. What they're doing is fun to watch if you appreciate that sort of thing. Because it's not just, well, it's Steph, it's Clay, and it's Draymond. I mean, Draymond's is not the same player he was when this run first started. Absolutely. Clay Thompson is getting thrown into the Hall of Fame for being one of the greatest shooters of all time and in games can't shoot. So I'm not really sure how that correlates. He's not on always. Steph Curry is who he is, but he is a clunker every once in a while. But you get other guys to step up. You have the Udonis Haslam of the Heat on Golden State, or at least the better version, probably who Udonis has wants to be because Andre Iguodala actually gets into the games. You see him in his jersey. He's able to take his warm-ups off and actually play every once in a while. You've got that type of leadership. You've got Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, 
Andrew Wiggins finally having a game worthy of a, a number one draft pick and getting that monkey off his back in this in this it was postseason. Spectacular. It was spectacular. It, that's the help that they they needed, and they built it up in the years where they weren't going to get not even get to the playoffs. So what they've done as a whole, of course, you say they can keep this going. Now the West, as we know, very difficult conference, and you have a couple clunker games as Golden State's been known to do. They don't put teams away as they should sometimes. They let teams hang around. You're out, and that happens. But four out of eight, and you you have to start having conversations about this this team. Six trips. Six trips. It's been crazy. And this was kind of an F you to everybody. Like, oh, you don't think we can win with Kevin Durant? All right. And Six they did trips. It. Second time they blow a 3-1 lead in the 73-73 win season. And the last time they were there, you know, they lose both Durant and Thompson. So uh, what they've done is incredible. This was clearly, I don't want to say, I don't like to use the term worst. So let's say it was the least good team of the bunch. This was not their best championship team. But what is remarkable is this was, without a doubt, Steph Curry's crowning glory. He finally got his playoff MVP, which everybody says he's got to have or he can't go down you know, uh, as one of the greatest of all time. That was not even remotely correct because he's already, if not the greatest, one of the handful of greatest shooters of all time and climbing the list of all-time greats with five trips and three championships and now, excuse me, six trips and three championships and now four and eight. And he had his legendary uh, performance that will live forever uh, in game five, in game four, <clears throat> which saved the series. And he was brilliant in game six. And the thing that is remarkable to me about Curry is that I think he's a better player now. He's bigger, he's stronger, He's tougher. He's more durable. He's an even better quarterback. And don't get me wrong. He's not a pure point guard. We know that. But he's not just a shooting guard anymore. He's definitely become more of a combo guard. He runs their offense for the most part. And he now attacks the basket. You saw him. There are times in big spots where he goes to the rack. Left hand, right hand. He doesn't always finish strong. Sometimes he fades away a little bit. But he's the smallest guy on the court usually. But he's unafraid to go in with the big boys. And take his lumps. And when they left Al Horford on the island with no help whatsoever from Marcus Smart or anybody else, expectedly, he blew by him every time, but he also finished every time. And he finished at the rim, finished with the right hand, finished with the left hand, much stronger now. He's a better player than he was in 2015, 16, 17. No doubt in my mind. Clearly a better player. And they have gone from this team that I didn't like at all, that I thought was full of themselves and uh, you know a nice little team. Uh, they're much more likable now, I think. Steve Kerr's more likable. They're more likable. Okay, Draymond Green's still tough to like. But he's Draymond. He's unique. Uh, he knows the game inside out. He is a master psychologist. He knows exactly what he has to do to upset the other team. Sometimes, you know, he doesn't know what to do with himself. He just kind of gets lost sometimes and he doesn't have the skill set uh, that he had because his some of his physical skills are fading, let's put it that way. But he rebounded nicely, and he was much more physical in the last three games of the series or the last portion of game four, and then obviously game five and six. He was clearly on his game. He had a lot more energy. He looked like Elmore Spring in his step. He was getting up and down the court much better. He seemed to have a better understanding of where to be and what he had to do. And you know, knock down a couple shots. It always helps when you knock down a couple jump shots. Actually, knock down a couple threes. Showed the confidence to take it. Where when they left him alone, hit a huge shot when they were up nine, about seventeen feet, uh, to put him back up three, to put him back up eleven, I think, in one spot. Where you know, the, the game was it was a slipping away, but Celtics want to come back. They cut into the double digit lead. It was down to nine, often inbounds, about seventeen feet straight away. Knocked down a big jump shot. You know, it showed you the confidence to take it. And I think that little Steve Kerr sit down helped, you know, because I think it made him realize, look, you want to know what's going on out there? We're better off without you. We can play without you. And the guys out there right now are doing a better job. So you better get your ass in gear or you ain't getting off that bench. And I think it was a good wake-up call for him 
He finished that game strong. He had two more very strong games. And you notice he went back to doing what he does best. Push, 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 get the ball and go. Get the ball and go. Don't worry about getting it to Curry. When you get, go. If the opening is there, run. Run him down. Run him into the ground. And that, and because it's not like you saw him take that ball and just go to the basket. He would sprint with the ball, get into the front court, and then look to help set up the offense if the, if the break wasn't there. And that was exactly what the doctor was, just what Kerr wanted. And it tired Boston out, having to chase them down the court and then guard them in the half-court offense. And it showed. Uh, they got all the contribution that they needed to have in all the right spots. Obviously, Wiggins' game five was the game of his life, where the former first-round pick, who Nick Wright castigated, who Nick Wright said you know two years ago was not a good basketball player, and that the seventy the seventy six, and that the uh, Warriors will never be heard from again, and Steph Curry, Curry will never go to another final. <laughs> maybe the worst take. Uh, maybe the worst take in in terms of predictions about a player and a team that we've ever heard from someone who knows so much about sports. Uh, this did not fall in the category of what's right. This fell in the category of nothing could be more wrong. And Nick has been roasted on Twitter, uh, left and right, and rightfully so, because that's a tweet that, uh, and not just a tweet, a clip from First Things First that will live in infamy, as you know, it already has. Speaking of Steve Kerr, a little trivia question for you that you'll probably get because you're the wise of this show. He now has nine total rings as a player and as a coach. Mm -hmm. There's three people alive that are either tied for that or have more. Do you know those three folks? Well, they should be. Should be. Phil Jackson with 11. Yep, that is one. And remember, those are just as a coach. Six with the Bulls, five with the Lakers. Yep. Phil Jackson has 13. He won two with the Knicks as a player. Yep. Um, Bill Russell is still with us. That is right. He's number two. And you said alive, correct? Right. So I have to count up Riley's rings. I think he's there. Just let me double check. Uh, He was... An assistant. Are we counting assistant or head coach only? They're also counting assistants. Championships. So he was Paul Westhead's assistant in 80. All right. So that's five. He won one with the Lakers as a player. That's six. Yep. And then as coach and GM or team president of the Heat, that's three more. So he's got nine. He does. And that is three. See? I never doubted you for a second. Now, what separates yeah, well, Steve Kerr is he's 56 years old. Right. Right. And and while we're on that topic of most rings and trivia, my favorite is who is the only player to have seven championship rings, none of them as a Boston Celtic? It's got to be Robert Ory. That is correct. Our guy. That is correct. Big shot, Bob. Anytime, two, three, two. anytime there's a rings discussion and not the star player for it, he's up there for it. He's our guy. Although he'll, if you asked him, he would tell you, yeah, of course I won those rings. I wasn't just there. But he's not wrong and, and, for some of those cases. And, and the thing about Ori is he won them back to the first five. He won back to back. Yeah. He won back to back with the Rockets in, in 94-95. He went back to back to back with the Lakers in the three beat, 2000, 2001, 2002. And then he went two more, not back to back because the Spurs never went back to back. And that's always been my issue with the Spurs in terms of calling it a dynasty and putting in them in the mix with the Lakers is that they never won two in a row. Right. And comparing Duncan to Kobe, Duncan never defended. Kobe defended three times because he had a three peat. So he defended twice there and he repeated uh, in 2009 and 2010. So right. he repeated three different times. And Duncan didn't do it once. So there's the difference. And speaking of rings, and we had talked about this a couple weeks ago, jokingly, because already the conversation was getting thrown around for Steph's legacy and does he need a finals MVP and all that nonsense before the games were even played for the finals, as 
the media is led to do in sports. I always have to talk about it instead of just waiting for it to happen. Well, we waited on the show, and now he has another NBA championship with finals MVP to boot. He now ties LeBron James in title numbers. He gets closer in finals appearances as well, despite that LeBron number also being preposterously high. Seems like he was in the finals for a decade straight. Just put him in there. Get your book your tickets to either Cleveland, Miami, and then L.A. Well, or remember Disney how weak, World, I should rem- say. Remember how weak the East was all those years. Right. It, you Knox. could easily just pencil it in in some mm-hmm. cases, but he also was a very good basketball player. Absolutely. People might forget. Absolutely. Number three on my all-time list. So now Steph is getting thrown into the discussions, rightly so, about what do we do with him as a player? Where does he rank? Where does he stand? How does the top 10 look now? Who are you getting rid of to put in his place? Twitter's been going nuts. Reddit's talk shows, of course, right after it happened. You let the dust settle for a couple days and then bring up, well, where is he at? And as somebody that loves rankings as you do, I'm sure you thought about, where is he now? And again, we say this with his career is not over. Uh, he could continue to win and even help his cause further. But as a fun little exercise, just looking at what he's done now with this past championship and finals MVP, which we said he didn't need. Are, is he in the top 10 yet? Or is he kind of knocking at the door? Like, Hey, maybe one more. <laughs> I'm still, I'm out here. Well, as you know, the portion of the show that is labeled the old report. Remember, there's a reason for that. As all my not so young fans know that I go back to Wilt and I go back to Russell and seeing those battles. And I go back to West and Baylor and Oscar, you know, up through the likes of Rick Barry and Dr. J in the ABA before we came to the NBA. And then obviously Kareem, et cetera, and magic and everything that's gone on since with Boru. Magic and Bird and Jordan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I do not have him in the top 10. I do have him, however, making a bold jump with this last run, not just because they won a championship, but because of the way he played and the way he led them to a championship. So in this run alone, I moved him past the following players. I moved him past, and remember, this is based on a, huge combination of things and you know we're, we're comparing pl- apples and oranges a lot of times because you know we've got guards and centers and forwards but we got to rank them so i'm not ranking by position i'm ranking them by player i'm ranking them by what i think in terms of all-time greatness the caliber of the player the quality of the player and team success is also factored in but if i think a guy is markedly better than another guy i'm not it, it, we're talking about the caliber of the player best player if he wasn't on the best team and he played great and they still lost, you know, I'm still going to make that be, be the better player. So that, that's how I rank him. So I've got Steph at 13. I had him behind Kevin Durant. I had him behind Moses Malone. I had him behind Julius Irving. Julius Irving. I had him behind Akeem Olajuwon when this season started. So I just rattled off one, two, three, four guys, two centers and two forwards that I had him behind. I had him behind Dr. J, KD, Elijah and Moses. And the order I had those guys in was Elijah Moses, Julius Irving, KD. And I just had Steph Trump, those four guys to get to 13th. I still have him behind the following. I still have Jerry West and Oscar ahead of him at 12 and 11, simply because I thought that the only one won championship. I remember Jerry West went to eight, five. I, I always get confused. Jerry West went to, I think he went to nine finals. I think he was 0-6 against the Celtics. And one and two against the Knicks. I think you want you can maybe you can look it up. Our I think he lost six times to the Celtics in the sixties. Uh, it was at least five. Um, but I think he's a better player than Steph Curry. Remember, no three back then. Superior defender. 
you only MVP of the finals from a losing team, averaged over 40 a game. And Oscar averaged a triple-double. He was a brilliant player. Both better rebounders, both probably better passers. Steph's a great passer. He gets sloppy sometimes. But West was an all-first-team defender. Steph is, things we say, he's gotten better. He's, he's, got, he's become a mediocre defender. now. He's, he's okay. He's average. And remember, those guys, their 25-foot jump shots only counted as twos. So, you know, it hurt their scoring averages. They were average more points in this three-point rule. So I have both of them ahead. And then, you know, in no particular order, you know, the top 10, you know, Jordan, Kareem, LeBron, Magic, Bird, Kobe, Duncan, Shaq, and Bill Russell. I think that's all of them. I shrouded off the names. If the four big guys in, and, and Wilt, of course, the four big guys in Kareem, Wilt, Russell, and Shaq, Michael, Magic, Kobe, Duncan, Bird. And I think that's it. I think that's 10. Um, Quick for Jerry, by the way, they lost eight, uh, nine times in 14 seasons. He got to the finals. The first six of those losses of the eight were to the Celtics. Right. So right. he had it. Then, yep. And a lot of seven game series, uh, a lot of incredibly close, se- a lot of incredibly close seventh games. Um, so he was, and he was just, he was, he, Jerry West was a, he's the logo. It's the reason he's the logo. He was as complete a player as there has ever been in the NBA. Cause Jerry West could do everything incredibly well. Great shooter, great score, led the league in assists, great passer, excellent rebounder, brilliant defender. And he was Mr. Clutch. Plain and simple. That was his nickname, Mr. Clutch. So I still have him head of staff, and I still have Oscar head of staff. So then, like I said, you get the four big guys, Will, Kareem, Shaq, and Russell, Michael, Magic, Six, uh, Jordan, Bird, Kobe, Duncan. Uh, that's the 10. That's my top 10. And the thing that is so knee-jerk about this, regardless of who you rank and where you want, there are people out there now, at Reggie Miller, who I have a lot of respect for and I enjoy, the great pontificator, the windbag, Stephen A., but shockingly, stunningly, one of the members of First Things First with Nick Wright, and I say when I say great, I mean the great, the great Chris Broussard, moved, all three of them, have Steph in the top 10. So then the question becomes, who do you move out? And they move Will Chamberlain out of the top 10. Oh, no. Which is, it, it, it's, as I said to Nick Wright, it's take atrocity of epic proportions. If you are going to take Will Chamberlain out of the top 10, what you need to do is you need to sit down with me and you need to go to the class list and you need to look for the class list and find on the class list NBA 101. And then you need to go to the first and most important book in the NBA 101 course requirements. And that's called the NBA record book. The subtitle is the book of Wilt. Wilt Chamberlain is the most dominant player in the history of the sport. He played on arguably the two greatest teams of all time and was the centerpiece of those teams. The Philadelphia 76ers in 1966-67 broke the all-time record of wins in a season, 81 games, 68-13. and 13. They broke the Celtics' streak. They beat the Celtics in the East, finally, and then they knocked off Rick Barry's Warriors in the West, won the championship. The next year, they had a 3-1 lead on the Celtics in the Eastern Finals. They lost the 3-1 lead. Russell over Wilt. Wilt got traded to Los Angeles. Played with an aging Elgin Baylor and Jerry West still in his prime. They went to the finals in 69. Lost to the Celtics in 7. Went to the finals in 70. Lost to the Knicks in 7. Five Hall of Famers. 71, Wilt got hurt. 72, they set the all-time record for American team sports that will never be touched. 33 wins in a row. 
71-72. Baylor retires five games into the season. Jim McMillan from Columbia goes to the small forward spot. They break the Sixers record, courtesy of the extra game, and go 69-13. Break the all-time record, set the all-time record, 33 wins in a row. And in the postseason, they knock off the then-defending champ, Milwaukee Bucks, in the Western Finals. This is when Milwaukee was in the West, because folks uh, – Look it up, courtesy of the old report. When Milwaukee came into the league, they were in the West originally. They won it in 71 with Lou Cinder. And they were defending champs. And the Lakers knocked them off in six games in a tremendous series. And then they went on to beat that Nick team with five Hall of Famers in five games. And then the next season, they went back to the finals again and lost to the Knicks this time in five. So with the Lakers, Wilt went to the finals in 69. 70, 72, and 73. He went to four finals in five years with the Lakers. Uh, He went to two, one final with the Sixers in one. And before he got traded back to Philadelphia, because Wolf started his career with Philadelphia when they were the Philadelphia Warriors, they moved to San Francisco. And Wolf's leading league in scoring every year, six straight scoring titles, averaging 50 points a game. Uh, 100 points in a, in a season. When the Philadelphia 76ers moved to San Francisco, the Syracuse Nationals relocated and became the Philadelphia 76ers. So, well, it starts in Philadelphia as a warrior. They moved to San Francisco. He has the first eight years or so of his career there. Then he gets traded back to Philadelphia. And with the Sixers, he wins a championship, loses Let's go back to San Francisco. His first trip to the finals was with San Francisco. They lost to those Celtics and Russell. So that's his first trip to the finals uh, as a San Francisco Warrior. Gets traded back to Philly, goes to a finals with Philly and wins, then gets traded to the Lakers and goes to four finals with them and goes one and three. So six finals appearances, two and four, and there's two teams arguably the two greatest teams of all time. This is a man who averaged 50 points a game. That's right, folks. He averaged 50 points a game. He scored 100 points in a game. He Averaged 50 and 25 for a season. He led the league in assists, MVPs, scoring titles. This is the single most dominant player in the history of basketball. NBA, ABA, ABL, NCAA, you name it. There's Wilt, there's everybody else. It's his record book. For anyone to take him out of the top 10 is like saying, you know, Babe Ruth couldn't play. It's like saying Wayne Gretzky all right, didn't check anybody. It's like saying Jimmy Brown only won my championship. Because the Mount Rushmore of individual achievement and dominance in all of sports is Babe Ruth, Will Chamberlain, Jimmy Brown, and Wayne Gretzky. And that's it. And that's all. There are no arguments. I mean, you can argue, but you'd be wrong. Will Chamberlain, and, he, and so he didn't go to, it's not like he didn't win championships. We not we didn't win enough. We won two. We went to six. And he, and he lost to all-time Celtic teams and Nick teams. They had five Hall of Famers, all-time Nick teams. Did he have a great player? Sure he did. They had a couple of great players. Hal Greer, Chet Walker, Jerry West, Gail Goodrich. But the other team always had a bunch of superstars too. Dominant player ever. And they had not even in the top 10, you just lose all credibility. Oh, credibility. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. What hurts Wilt, and it's a knock on my generation, as you can easily see. First off is he passed away in 99. So he's been gone out of people's minds as far as visibility for 20 plus years. And my generation, despite the technological advancements that we have, always being on our phones, always being on screens, streaming stuff, watching stuff, we need our news. We need it now. We needed it before it even happened. And we need it quick. And we only want a little bit of it. And it's got to be quick. Exactly. Vine was the best app for us that's ever happened. The longest videos you could have were six seconds. We got to go. Right. Because we want it. We want it. We want it quick. Scroll through. We need something else. 
because we got to go to something else. So I don't know if there needs to be a Last Dance-esque documentary done on Wilt for people to just watch and see what he did. But to say, and, and from for Rick and for others that know this game like the back of their hand, for that to be the player that you're going to take out of the top 10? Come on, man. At least make it like somebody that played with Steph or close to Steph. That's an era of basketball that it's set in stone. You're not touching that. It doesn't matter if, what somebody now does. It's look, not going to happen. If you, want, if you wanted to sit there and argue with me that you're going to put him in at Jerry West and Oscar Robertson and move him into the top 10, all right, uh, I had a shack. I, I don't agree, but I, I, I'm not going to kill you for that. not going to kill you. You've got you've got Shaq, you've got Kobe, and you've got Tim Duncan as your three that you could argue with Steph, in my opinion. No. I don't think the other guys are, are to be touched. No, you, you can't argue Kobe either. Kyle Kobe I, no, I wouldn't. Five, five championships and an all-world defender, so you right. can't argue. I wouldn't, but, you know, some people might take that stance. You, you I could, think it's got to be players from that generation, though. Like, you, you can't take bird out you can't take magic out you certainly can't take out wilt you're not touching kareem and you can't touch bill russell and obviously okay. lebron is is right up there with mike and and anybody who's going to sit there and say this jj reddick notion you're plumbers electricians first of all wilt was seven foot one and 270 pounds wilt was a mountain of a man but wilt ran track Wilt wasn't some big lumbering right. big guy Wilt ran the 440. Back then, it wasn't the 400 meters, it was the 440. Wilt ran, Wilt ran track at Kansas. He got up and down the court like a gazelle. He could jump out of the gym. He was strong as an ox. He was a brilliant passer. He, he couldn't shoot free throws. He could not shoot free throws. But Wilt today would be so dominant, it would be, there isn't anybody, the only guy who could run the court with Wilt today at that size is Giannis. And Wilt was bigger, and Wilt was stronger, and Wilt was tougher, better shot blocker, better rebounder. And again, this is the argument I always make against the J.J. Reddicks of the world. Well, those guys couldn't play today. Look at the way they dribble. Players are so much better. So you can't just take the guy and beam him here. And you can't take Steph Curry and just move him back. Right. You want to take Steph Curry and put him back there? Well, you put him back there at 12, not at the Steph Curry of 22, and say, go knock him dead against their competition. Send him back there when he's 12 years old, and Steph Curry doesn't get AAU ball. He doesn't get the cadre of coaching. He doesn't get the camps. He doesn't get the film study. He doesn't get the scouting. He doesn't get the nutrition. He doesn't get the travel ball. He doesn't travel around like a king when he's 15, 16, 18, 20, 22 years old. And if he ever does make it to the pros, he's traveling on buses. He's traveling on trains. He's sitting on a cramped coach flight. He's sitting in a dumpy hotel room. All right. There's no personal trainers. There's no nutritional experts. There's no six, seven, eight guys to rub you down and there's no incredible medical advances that we've made in those in those 50 years. Well, just put when it this way, Al, for the injuries, if, if his ankle injuries that he suffered already, like early in his career happened, then he's, he's out of, he's out of the sport. He's done. He's done. He, he's done. You want to know why? Because there aren't guaranteed contracts with all that money and he's playing through it hurt and eventually it wears him down and he's done. There's no surgeries so that, like they have now. He, they would have looked at his ankles and said, hey, man, you just can't play basketball anymore. You're not going to walk I, ever again. So, so, so that's what you do with the player of today when you send him back. In the meantime, guy couldn't play today. Well, let's take Will. Let's take whomever. Let's take Bob Pettit. Let's take Oscar. Let's take Jerry West. What am I talking about? And let's bring him forward now to 2012. 2015, 2018, where he's a god at 12 or 13 if he's good. He's fallen all over. He's wooed. He's recruited. He's big. AAU, constant coaching, film study, scouting, nutrition, health, training, doctors, trainers. And oh, by the way, three-point rule. And once you're really good, all right, you know, hey, Wilt. 
78, 80 games, 46 minutes a night? Dude, give me 65 games and 35 minutes and we're cool. And you play till you're 40. Even before that, you you have the choice of any college, literally, in the world for any coach that you've ever wanted to play for. And, and then you, you whatever goes into that. So, so that's why the players are better. Because of all the advances that have nothing to do with the player. We're all, even me, we grow as we grow as a people. People are bigger now on the average than they were 50 years ago. That's just the way we evolve. But the technological advances and the advances to the game in terms of training and scouting and coaching and video and film and all the assistant coaches and all the workouts and all the weight training and all the nutrition, bring those guys here. Give them that. You think they couldn't play? And by the way, they wouldn't have to worry, J.J., about being plumbers or electricians in the offseason. You want to know why? You know why. Because you can't spend all the money you made putting up jump shots that you couldn't even get off in the old days. And by the way, they were only worth two. So I don't want to hear that horse shit because that's exactly what it is. It's not a fair argument to the player of then. And quite frankly, it's not a fair argument to the player of today. Because if you send them back, I don't know if they could play. Because right now, some of, them, some of them are great athletes and they can't play dead. They look like they don't know what they're doing. They look panic-stricken when they touch the ball in a big spot. Yeah. So it works both ways. But this notion that those guys couldn't play today, like I said, you don't just beam them here, Scotty. All right? You beam them here, but you give them the benefits of being here. If you're going to go back, you have the detriments of going back. Got to take the whole kit and caboodle. When you've got a player like Wilt Chamberlain who came into the sport, started dominating the sport, and the sport itself had to say, hang on. We got to do something with this lane. We've got to do some things. We got to widen this lane from 12 feet to 16 feet. In college, we've got to make sure his teammates aren't throwing him alley-oop passes over the top of the backboard so he can make his dunks. We got to get rid of that. And you mentioned how bad of a free throw shooter he was. Sometimes he would just jump from the free throw line. That's correct. And slam the ball through the basket without it being a violation because he didn't touch the lane. That's correct. And they had to say, hold on a minute. We can't do that. Let's change that rule too. Could you imagine? He would would take off from behind the foul line and leap forward, all right, and lay it in. And they said, you can't do that. Everything they did made it harder for Will. And and after a while, it didn't matter. Okay, I'll just do it this way. You know? Don't pass the ball enough. Well, okay, I'll leave the league in assists. This and to watch him go toe to toe with a young Luell Cinder in 1972 when they were the defending champs and the team that won 33 in a row. Remember now, Wilt is, I believe, 34, uh, and El Cinder is 24. So it's 10 years. Well, it's 34, 35, I think, at this stage, 72. And he's still the only guy I've ever seen block the sky hook at the top of the sky. That's the way I term it. He's the only guy I've ever seen block the sky hook when it was out of his hand and up in the air and at its apex. Crazy. And Wilt, and Wilt blocked it. And it's the only time I've ever seen it done. He, he blocked it in that, in that uh, conference championship series when the Lakers won it in six. It's an incredible series to see those two guys go at it the old and the new, uh, the two Goliaths, it was war. And uh, you know, Wilt won the war. And the thing about that series is the first game of the series, Bucks blew them out. And then the Lakers came back and won four to five. And then they went to the finals. Wilt was the MVP of the finals. They got blown out by the Knicks in game one, where the Knicks literally made, I mean, if, if, it was, if there was a three-point rule back then, the Knicks would have won the game by 50. Bill Bradley, I think, went 11 for 11. DeBusher was hitting bombs. Jerry Lucas, I mean, 25 feet, easy. And then the Lakers came back and beat him in four straight. And then uh, West got hurt the next year and retired. And then Wilt retired as well. He was, Wilt was the Paul Bunyan of sports. I mean, it, it, it's, it's legendary, literally beyond belief. But the ironic part of it is, it's all reality. When you look at the books, 
you, it's like the cartoon when you've got the stars going around your head. If you look at the records, they're literally, they're, you look at them and say, this can't be right. This can't be right. You know, the, the, the seven guys who scored 70, over 70 points, you know, like Wilt did it, like, you know, 70 points have been scored in an NBA game, like, you know, 50 times. All the others have 12, Wilt's got 38. You know, I mean, they're, they're those kind of statistics. I mean, you average 50 a game. Average 50 points a game, no threes. Average 50 points a game. There was a season where he averaged more than 48 minutes a game because of the overtimes that he played in. Never fell out of a game. Never fell out of a game in his entire career. High school, Kansas is one year, and in the pros. Never fell out. Remarkable. So what we're saying is, hold on. <laughs> hold on to your top tens for one more year, and we'll revisit it. And it's okay to revisit the discussion. You don't have to be the first and the, oh, I've been saying this for... That doesn't make you right if you say something stupid first. If it turns out to be right well, later, it doesn't mean you're right when you said it. So that's, the way, that's the way Stephen A. operates. You know that. Throw it up against the wall. And if it eventually sticks, that's the key. Not just if it sticks. If it eventually sticks. Let's wait a while. Free, you got to freeze it up there for a while. Let, let's stop action. And then three, four years from now, let's see if it sticks. And then the same is right. But you know, that's, as we know, the prince of pontification. Loves to just not just hear himself talk. He loves to hear people talk about what he said. Mm-hmm. That's the important part. Talk about me. Whether I'm right or wrong doesn't matter. Just talk about me. It's all that matters. And you know, we can revisit this next year, the year after, and the year after that. But one thing we're not going to revisit again on this program is whether or not Will Chamberlain belongs in the top ten of all time, because that will never change. You cannot knock Will Chamberlain out of the top 10. Not now. Not ever. Never. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. It is great to have you back, young man. That is the uh, freshly returned bachelor from the Southeast, the one and only partner of mine, the great John Tiny Lund. Until next time, I am Al Renato Akeel from White Plains. Enjoy your sports weekend. And everybody stay safe as we finish off the NBA draft. And we'll talk to you next week, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well. Or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. 